Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Film Disruptors. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the show about the artists and entrepreneurs redefining storytelling and sharing their insights and strategies with you. And I'm delighted to welcome Karen Whitney Vernon to the show. Karen is Senior Vice President of Branded Entertainment at Shaftesbury, based out of Toronto, Canada. She is also the brains behind one of the most successful branded projects of all time, Carmilla, which has just been named Brand Content of the Year at MIP. Beginning life as a web show, Carmilla built up a global fan base of millions. And off the back of that success, has now been made into a crowdfunded movie with a book deal also just signed. In this conversation, Karen explains the exact process of how she partnered with the brand, Kotex in this instance, the North American feminine hygiene brand, to create a global franchise that not only was 100% brand and fan funded, but also that is owned exclusively by Shaftesbury in a masterclass in not just brand funding but also audience and commercial strategy Karen explains how she combines the three C's to make compelling original stories that audiences love content conversation and commerce as anyone listening to this show for a while will know the business of storytelling is something I'm personally very passionate about And when I'm not interviewing film disruptors, I love applying this passion and using my expertise to help independent storytellers and filmmakers accomplish their goals and get stories made and seen. I do this by working with storytellers intensively or over a longer period to develop the project and strategy for maximum finance, distribution and commercial impact. If you are a filmmaker or storyteller and would like to find out more about how I can help your project, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to alexstoltz.com or just drop me an email at alex at alexstoltz.com. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a couple of ways to get in touch and stay in touch. Firstly, subscribe on iTunes. Just click subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors. That's alexstoltz.com spelled S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is where you can also access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests and get in touch. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening and now I'm going to hand you over to Karen Whitney Vernon and I started today's show by asking Karen about the evolution of Carmilla. It's probably now 2014 and I had um, recently presented an idea with Shaftesbury about creating branded uh, content. So Shaftesbury, as uh, you might know, has been in the film and television business for about 30 years. Um, And 
So they're, they've done the traditional model that most people do. They're getting their funding by uh, production or through television uh, broadcasters um, and through funds and that we have available here in Canada and tax credits. Um, but they had not been talking to brands. And so the concept was really um, audiences, especially younger audiences, were not watching television. And we've seen a big disruption in that business. And so Christina Jennings, who is the CEO, uh, is the CEO of Shaftesbury, was interested in looking at different funding models because the traditional ones were drying. She could see the writing on the wall; they were drying up. Mm. And really, this isn't a new model, Alex. I mean, this I always say sometimes. I mean, people don't understand the soap operas that we know um, know of. The the history of that was created in the 30s for radio and then obviously in the 50s on television were all funded by brands. Um, and it's not that the brand is the center part of it. It was always this idea of audience first. So basically, I, with the idea presented to Christina, um, we had thought of doing a vlog format um, show. So bringing back a soap opera, like how do we bring that concept back that would be of interest to a young demographic, which is now on YouTube? And um, so Carmilla was one that had been presented by one of our producers internally. And when I looked at the show, I thought immediately of a brand that I've been dealing with for years, uh, you buy Kotex. Um, and I thought, you know, they struggle with connecting uh, with this demographic. They're looking for being leaders within uh, their category and, and breaking through um, traditional advertising. So that's how it all started. We went to them with this idea and they jumped on it. You mentioned that uh, original shows in the 1950s uh, and so on were, were, were brand funded. I, I didn't realize that. You know, and that is, to me, that is the most interesting thing. I, I know about soap operas and the history of them, uh, probably because, you know, it's, it's my business is branded content. Mm. But whenever I go to a conference or I'm speaking on, on a panel or as a keynote, I will ask that question. I mean, how many of you know the history of the soap opera? Everyone has heard that term. But yeah, the, these shows, and it, again, it started with radio in the 30s. Uh, they were all funded by brands. And again, they weren't, they weren't about uh, soap and doing your dishes or doing your laundry. But what, what, why they came about was people were not, at that time, um, after the war, housewives weren't, weren't watching television. They were trying to get them to come every day to television so that they would have a vehicle to then advertise their products. Um, and they used this idea of, you know, ongoing dramas, great characters, storylines, you know, cliffhangers, all the things that started to get people to come back and watch. So we took all those key elements that were really core to what made soap operas popular and that's what we put into Carmilla. Huh. If you watch, you know, every it's a snackable content, three to five minutes, but it always ends with a great cliffhanger. Mm. Um, so that we knew the audience would be going, I I gotta find out what happens to Carmilla or what happens to Laura. And I think that's that was our learning on, you know, you gotta get people's attention fast and you gotta keep it. And so we we learn a lot from the traditional soap opera. I never realized that was where the the term soap opera came from 
well, that sounds so. That was the concept. Let's re let's reimagine. Let's reinvent this uh, this format for a digital age for for a millennial audience. But mm-hmm. then you then you decided to you you came up with the concept first, and then you approached a brand. Was that the way it worked on this occasion? Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, again, I get this asked question very often is, mm. is it the concept first or the brand? Um, and to be honest, it's, it's so new still that uh, sometimes it is the brand first um, and then the story, but often we'll have a great story that just feels right for a brand um, and, and it'll be that way. Mm. Like we'll go to the brand. Did you make it with them in mind? I, uh, we do a lot of what we call brand archetypes. Um, so, in you know, you'll have a story archetype, and there's pretty pretty much only seven real strong stories that are that we can follow. But with an archetype for a brand, there's probably about twelve. Okay. And so, um, brands spend millions and millions of dollars developing their story. Um, and really, I think this is what's interesting for uh, storytellers is um, you buy Kotex brand archetype was the outlaw brand. Um, outlaw brands are they're outside the everyday uh kind of uh consumer product they're trying to do things differently i mean you think of harley davidson is an outlaw brand so even if i'm a 50 year old uh accountant i I get on a harley and i feel like you know i could i could do bad things and and be a different type of person and they spend millions of dollars developing these stories and these ideas so I would suggest, I mean, maybe you can link it in your, your um, podcast, is, is really this idea of looking at what brand archetypes are because it, it helps you to kind of create stories around those archetypes. Yeah, that's very interesting. So a, a lot of your work then is is thinking about stories but also thinking about brands and really understanding that marketplace as well. Yes, because there wouldn't be any other uh, feminine hygiene product that could have been the sponsor of Carmilla. Okay. There was no other because they were the outlaw brand. And Carmilla, she's a badass lesbian vampire. She is she is a total outlaw. She wears black leather. She is you know she she's doing things that no one else is doing. So uh, if I was to go to Tampax, which is your you know a femme high contact that what I would call is your caretaker brand. Uh Um, They wouldn't fit with it at all. They wouldn't have fit in that story. And that's, what's really, I think, you know, to your audience is really important is that just because, um, you know, how do you connect a tampon company with a, you know, a vampire? Um, It's, it's really all about going back to that brand archetype. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Karen Whitney Vernon. And in this section, Karen talks more about the process she uses to match stories with brands. There are three things that we look at in our company: is we look at the content, um, conversation and commerce. So the distribution becomes part of that conversation. So when we launched Carmilla, um, we knew about the content. We knew we wanted to make it a soap opera. We wanted to put it onto YouTube um, because that's where this particular demographic, 18 to 24 year old women 
tend to be. Um, and um, we had we started creating conversations around it. So the story itself, the three to five minutes, is only part of our business model. The other part is how do we start those conversations with fans? And our first place tended to was uh, Tumblr. Um, and as you probably know, a lot of true fans go to Tumblr to on all sorts of content that's out there, whether, you know, it's Walking Dead or Game of Thrones and they're creating their artwork and they're sharing their blogs and their passion for the, this type of content. And that's where we start our conversations when, with content is on social media. So to find our fandoms, to create our fandoms and our groups, um, even before we start a piece of content, uh, we start seeding out, you know, in this case, we went to fans of Orphan Black. Uh, fans of Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which is again that blog format on YouTube, and started really understanding what they what they liked about those shows. Why did they like that content? Uh, what drove them to create artwork around it? Um, and started to engage with that. And that's where then once the content is live, the three to five minutes of snackable content, we had a whole infrastructure around it to really have those conversations and talk to those fans and then allow them to share their fandom of Carmilla. Well, I mean, that sounds, that sounds really logical <laughs> and, uh, and to, to, to really get to understand that audience, get to know that audience before you were uh, building the product. I mean, but it, what did that, what did that actually look like in, uh, in, in practical terms were, were you actually building followers at that stage or was it more a case of research? And I think it's partly research. Uh, that's the initial. Um, but once it's, it's also gathering um, potential followers and knowing where the people are active and what they're talking about. So it, it goes into, if you watch Carmilla, there's a, there are nods to pop culture in there. Uh, you know, think of your Doctor Who uh, we, we we kind of look at what the fans are talking about that we know are going to be fans of this and, and we take nods from that and, and put that into the show. And you have to do that before, obviously, in your writer's room, like when you're starting to do your writer's room, you have to understand what are those fans really into and what will they, what will they gravitate to. And uh, So you'll notice, you know, she's got her Doctor Who mug right on the desk, on her desk. <laughs> it's those subtle kind of nods to the fandoms that we know then once the show is live and going, we can reach out to those those fans and they love it. They love that you've taken the time to kind of understand them and to really know what they're about um, and that there, there, are other, there are other things that they're fans of are also part of, of this show too. Wow. So w when you uh, use the term audience first before, mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah, you really, you really are building that into the whole creative process yes that's um that's fascinating and in terms of the the act all all of this stuff is being handled in-house is that correct so the actual all of this social conversation but then the the distribution as well are you are you are, are you seeding it are you placing it on youtube or are you partnering with other channels to do that you know what i've done both and Carmilla was in-house and what a difference. I mean, it is so much more effective okay. and, um, yeah, you know, it's, we've got, we've got 
a whole team here that does social listening and social media. We've got a team that obviously is doing uh, editing and understands YouTube. Um, but we do a lot of reaching out to the platforms themselves. And of course, they're eager to have great content on the platform. So, um, of course, you know, we've had training and, um, if you notice kind of TV, which is our channel, um, we created it uh, for us to be able to put other pieces of content up, but obviously also Carmilla. We've been, I've been talking about Carmilla, like, you know, everyone is aware of the, the success, uh, of it, but it'd probably be quite helpful to, for people to understand what actually, what, uh, you know, what, what it did achieve. I mean, what what are some of the the statistics you can share, Karen? Mm-hmm. It uh, now again, we didn't have a marketing budget for this, which I would never do again. <laughs> it was, um, but so we have seventy over seventy five million organic views on YouTube. Um, it has been translated into eighteen languages by the fans. Um, and it has, um, as I mentioned before we started this podcast, our number, uh, top three markets, uh, first is the U S uh, second is UK and third is Brazil. Um, and, um, these, these fandoms have actually, they do meetups. Um, we have been at Comic-Con now for a number of years. Um, the fans are so engaged and, thankful for the content um, that speaks to really um, uh, um, the LGBTQ community that we were able to raise money to do a film uh, based all on um, a lot of fan uh, fan funded films. So, um, and actually I just signed a book deal, um, believe it or not. So Carmela is going to be a book in 2018 and we're in discussions with uh, a couple of broadcasters um, in terms of developing it as a TV show. So um, again, I think, you know, when there's a good story um, and they've seen the, the passion from the fans about it, um, anybody who just wants to Google uh, Carmela fan art, there are thousands of pieces of fan art. Uh, gifts, uh, videos. Um, I think a couple of people have even gotten married because they've met through Carmilla. So um, it's a pretty amazing fan base. Wow. So let, so just to be clear, so you came up with the idea, then you got uh, Kotex to finance it, but then you, you keep the rights. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah, and then that's a very interesting business model because, um, again, if you're an ad agency, this is the difference with working with traditional broadcaster or uh, production companies versus an ad agency. An ad agency is used to doing 30-second ads. They're used to having flights for, you know, four-week window, and then the content is gone. Uh, all of the IP is owned by the brand. Uh, they're, they're just there to service the brand. Uh, on our side, we are partners in this. Like, Car- you buy Kotex gets a percentage of any of the, the content that we are out there selling. They've got back-end rights to it, but they do not own the IP. They're not in the business of doing television. They're not in the business of creating content. They're in the business of selling tampons. So for them, it's a win-win because they we have a vested interest in making sure the show is good and that it has legs and that it has fans and they benefit from all of our hard work. But at the same time, 
we're getting the funding from them 100%. They're paying for everything. Um, and yet now we've got, you know, as I said, we've got a film that's out there. We've got a book deal. Um, and I think that this new model is, is kind of interesting because everyone benefits doing what they do best. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I am in conversation with Karen Whitney Vernon. And in this section, Karen talks more about the content, commerce, and conversation trinity and why that's so key in today's media landscape, and also talks about the evolution of Carmilla the movie. Why not sign up to the Film Disruptors email list? You can do this at alexstoltz.com to receive all the latest information and news about the show. Well, and I think this is where the world is going. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Amazon is absolutely in all three of those buckets. Um, And they have changed. Facebook has changed. They used to be a conversation vehicle. That's That's why you went to Facebook. Now they're into creating content. They're into commerce. YouTube's the same thing. All these platforms originally were built as a conversation, um, but now everybody's, you know, it's, it's all converging. Um, and I think that's where the opportunity is for, for us as, as storytellers is really having to understand this conversion and where it goes on. Um, and if we don't, we're going to be left behind because nobody is going to buy. I mean, I just saw some of the the. Canadian broadcasters were releasing their, um, you know, their numbers for this this quarter, and they're down, and they're down because advertisers aren't there, and when they're down, they're hiding, they're not ordering new shows, and that's the problem too. Is nobody's ordering new shows um, from some of these traditional televisions, so it's getting harder and harder to to get your content into the traditional model. The fact that you built the audience into the that's the thing which I'm really. There's, there's a lot I'm taking away, but one of the key things is how you brought the audience into the the heart of the creative process, because Carmilla's success, uh, of course, you can never predict that kind of success, but you can uh, you can sort of uh, make it more likely by taking that kind of research and taking that care and attention to thinking about your audience and yeah incorporating them in in that process and tell me about the movie and how that financed and 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 structured so often when we're at uh comic cons and it's we knew that um actually we took a a page out of british television Uh, we always think that um in in america they they beat a horse to death and they keep a show running and running like the office for many seasons when it should have ended like the uk did Mm. um and so we decided right off the bat that this was going to be a three-season story arc um, for Carmilla from, from the web perspective. And um, we told the brand that. And so it's 108 episodes. And then it it was done. We said, this is done. But we knew that the fans were there. And where could we take it? Um, and how could we build on this and again if you look at Carmilla it's a locked off camera it's set usually in one room um it's vlog format uh there's no coverage at all um and we thought what would happen if we were able to take um 
you know, take this story out of the one room, what would it look like? And the fans we knew were there. Um, and so at the New York Comic Con, I guess it was now a year and a half ago, we meant, we said we are going to be doing a movie and we put it out there and we'd like you fans to get involved. And we did a, you know, just like a Kickstarter campaign and uh, fans, I think, you know, could pay their $14 and they would be the first to get the, um, get the film through VHS. And if you spent $20, you, you know, we had just different, different, uh, ways of you investing in the film. And so a large portion of that came from, uh, fans. And then we were able to go to, um, an OTT platform called full screen. Um, and they invested some money into it as well. And then we got a couple of tax credits here. Um, and we were able to do the, the film and, um, you know, we took Carmilla out of her, of her one dorm room and, and allowed to have a little bit of a retrospective of, you know, where Carmilla came from and, and a little bit of a backstory about, you know, her first lover. And it was great. It was a great film. Did, um, does Shaftesbury, uh, put funds into the film as well, or was that all from, from the, the 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 crowdfunding and uh, tax credits and other finances, yeah, we we it was usually it's from all the other financing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, and then what was great is Ubi Cotex got involved in helping to promote it, so they were still involved in um, helping us because as you know with the film, a big part of it is marketing of it and getting it out there so they were very much along for that ride as well as being our our media kind of promote and marketing promoter um and i mean we went as far as even creating a tampon box with our two casts on on it a carmilla box Hmm. fan box and uh, sold that through amazon so you know it was really a really great partnership with the brand um and i know when you were first talking about it we we call our brands uh executive producers um and really treat them um, as an opportunity to get involved in the creative process to a small degree but they understand that again they're that's not their business um but i'll tell you it's sort of changed a lot of anybody who's worked with us on these projects these marketing uh people they say it's one of their highlights of their career is Mm -hmm. being able to be involved in something like this so i think brands are opening up to the fact that 30 second ads just they're not and they're not working and and they they don't have any value to the customer anymore And, and this really has shown brands that by creating a story that actually impacts people's lives and it has with something like carmilla and i'm not saying all will but um, in the case of Carmilla, it really it had an impact on people's lives and people have, I mean, people cry and they have changed their life and have flown from all over the world to meet each other. I mean, it's just crazy stuff. Um, and the brands say uh, in this particular case that it's actually from an employee engagement kind of, uh, practice really made them proud, um, for, for once in their, like a strong part of their career. So pretty amazing that's an amazing story and uh, it's really really w- wonderful to hear i guess it's uh, it, it's not i guess it's something that's always to to aim for that kind of level of impact and um and uh r- response from a from a piece of uh storytelling uh and 
it's you know it's it's heartening to see that can happen through you know where where wherever the, the funding comes from in fact it seems to have sort of empowered it and amplified uh the the story of the fact that you you, it was in partnership with the brand and 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 the audience um but what i mean one question when you're talking to your executive producers the the brands and trying to persuade them saying look you know we've got this great idea don't spend all your money on a billboard campaign or uh or or tv commercials there's so much wastage you don't know who you're getting you know you've got to cut through uh but then they say, okay, well, you know, give me some numbers. What, what, what are we actually going to, I, I get, I get it. You know, we think, you know, we, we love the idea of a deeper connection and, and something which is going to stand out. But, you know, in reality, how do I know you're going to uh, achieve, you know, it's not just going to be 50 people on YouTube uh, seeing this content. It is, how do you, how, how do you manage that process? And that's a really great, great question. Um, And I think this is where uh, distribution partnerships become really core. Um, At the end of the day, think about it. An ad, when you create a 30-second ad, you probably spend $1 on content and $2 on distribution, $3 on distribution. So they have a ratio, uh, three, some brands, three to one, some two to one. That's all it is. All, all we're trying to get their mindset out of is it's not a 30 second ad that you're running over and over again. It, it's a story. So I would still put an ad buy behind it. So why can't I, if you're going to take your ad and you're going to put it on television, first of all, people are avoiding it, but let's just take the model that they're not. So you go out and you pay to make sure people watch it. They're, and I don't know why brands sometimes struggle with that. It's like you have a media buy. So I know if I'm going to put an ad on YouTube, uh, I'm going to put it as a pre-roll. My pre-roll, I'm going to pay 10 cents a view. I know my budget is a million dollars, so I'm going to get 10 million views on that particular piece of content. That's all we're saying is the ad is now this really great show um, and you're part of it, but we're still going to promote it as you would your ad. Well, we could buy airtime on YouTube as pre-roll. Um, and, and really target those particular people. But the beauty of this now is you're not only getting paid views, you're also getting what we call earned views so or organic views, uh, where you I might pay to have you watch it, Alex, but then you go, oh, great show, and you share it with me, and now I've watched it. I didn't pay for you, for, for Karin to watch it. I only paid for Alex to watch it. So I'm now getting benefits from that that uh, that earned view i'm not actually paying for that so i'm my return on investment actually increases because i'm providing content that people actually want yeah that makes sense so so the uh, the the money that they were going to spend on producing the ad goes into producing a great story and then they still there's still a media spend behind it um can I uh, can, can you give me an idea of a kind of budget that you know you're talking about in terms of the you know production of uh, the, you know the original Carmela series? Is you able to give me a? Yeah, a, a I mean, I sense? think what we yeah what we tend to look at is um, we're looking at a, a basically a fifty fifty split. So if a marketer is going to spend on an ad campaign uh, over a four week period. Uh, you know, $2 million, you might be looking at 
a million going towards production and a million going towards um, media and promotions and PR and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so if you look at any television campaign uh, reach, um, of course, their budgets are going to be even bigger. This is more of a digital play. Um, so you're not going to get the budgets you're going to get for television by any means. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there, there is that part of the reason you locked off camera. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that type of film, you know, production value, uh, it's still great content. Um, but you sometimes have to create it because you're not going to get the TV. Budgets. Yes. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I am in conversation with Karen Whitney Vernon. And in this final section, Karen talks about her career and how it has led her to the forefront of branded content, and also gives her advice for emerging storytellers. I have have worked in media, so um, radio for for a number of years. Uh, always in the youth market, though. I worked in an all alt rock station for many years um and then i ran my own uh, company for 14 years called youth culture uh, we did youth research i mean that's really where i learned a lot about um you know social listening and i mean facebook you know all those all those social media sites weren't around but we started doing research on the internet in 1999 and what the effect of it was on, on uh, media consumption. And that's where we started to see it was so fascinating. Um, we looked at emotional drivers of content. Like why, why do I read a magazine as a young person versus listen to radio or watch television and television in 1999 was seen as, as cool um, by 2000, the emotional, the key emotional driver was a relaxing waste of time, and the internet had taken over as the the medium where I considered cool as a young person. Um, and right then, it was you know website. I mean, think about it. Websites were still you know simple pages. Uh, it, it, it was you know I think we had dial up still. ICQ, we started to look at ICQ and watch how young people were using ICQ. I don't even know if you have that in the UK, but how they were chatting, they weren't using email was already certain to be something that they were, they weren't using. So um, I think running a youth media company for years really helped me to understand uh, that, that there was a lot of change happening. Um, and so um, I guess it was about five years ago, I started to work in YouTube, this YouTube space, and uh, saw the value of working with influencers. And I did a reality show, at, actually, <laughs> um, I guess with uh, Gigi Gorgeous, who's a, one of the top beauty bloggers now. Um, and at the time, she was Gregory Gorgeous. She was just trans transitioning. And uh, we did a reality show on her life and, you know, living in Toronto. Um, and I realized when I did a live event with her and the crowd that came out and not one single person in the marketing world had even heard of vloggers. They hadn't heard of doing whole videos. They hadn't heard of, you know, YouTube stars. And I just went, oh my God, this is where it's all going. And so I sold my company and came and started working on video content for YouTube. Really? That's, that's how it all started. So um, it's fascinating times. And right now I'm working on a project with, um, you know, with another uh, outlet, Snapchat, and I want to do a really cool story with them. And so, um, 
it is really looking at where where are people consuming content and how can I create content um, that will be engaging and work with brands. What advice would you give to an emerging storyteller, someone who wants to make a film or it may not be a film maybe they want to they want to tell a story uh but they're just getting started they're looking to um they're, they're looking at what strategies they should take on or, or or how to how to move forward really and uh yeah what advice general or specific would you give uh, someone in that situation yeah i mean i think it's such a fantastic time to be starting in the creative business because there are no barriers to entry anymore. If I want to do a, um, a film, I would I would think of starting small again, and, and you know whether it's starting something on YouTube with one of the characters and finding out how people react. Um, we've that's what I talk about now. This conversation and content um, converging. We have the capability of putting content out there and getting responses back right away and seeing what's working and um i always find if if you start a conversation and people actually are engaging with it you you're on to something and that's when you can sort of take that information to a potential sponsor or dollars because then you've got proof you can show that people really love this character or the story is unique or the the format we're using so start small and just do it. I mean, the problem is people think so much about things and just start. You you got access to all the content, you know, distribution models you can think of. We talked about it, Instagram, Snapchat. Just start it and see what happens. If you want to find out more about Film Disruptors, listen to other episodes or get in touch, please visit www.alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Mm -hmm.